0: Well, here's my first question. Do you think it's a little dangerous handing out guns in a bank?
1: Did you know that the only place on American soil with free healthcare is at Guantanamo Bay? Hello, once again. Welcome to Michael and Us, a depressing, nostalgic tour through the cinematic oeuvre of Michael Moore. Once again, I'm Will Sloan, and with me... Luke Savage. Uh, yeah, we, this week we return to the Michael Moore universe after three anti-Michael Moore documentaries and one Dinesh D'Souza film we watched 2007 Sicko.
2: It feels like such a long time since we've actually done kind of what the podcast was set up to do. We've taken so many detours along the way. and uh, It's like coming home again. Yeah, you know? here we are.
1: I, I don't know. We could talk a little bit about what's going on in the world. It seems we're yeah. recording this on Wednesday. You know, we're either days away from Donald Trump dropping out or he won't drop out at all
2: yeah i mean i feel like we're in this uh this emotional roller coaster where the news cycle every 48 hours oscillates between donald trump is a mortal threat who is definitely going to win the u.s presidential election to he's a clown and his campaign is falling apart uh i saw doug henwood uh had a facebook status today where he was like you must vote for hillary to crush this fascist and then slash a vote for Hillary will easily crush this fascist. Uh, (laughs) And I do think that I do think there's something, I think it's partly because people actually don't know how to kind of emotionally process something as unpredictable as the Trump campaign. But I also think there's a certain amount of self-interest in it. I think the uh, liberal attitude towards Trump has always been that they need him to be perceived as a threat, but they don't really actually take him that much as a threat. I mean, if american liberals were earnestly convinced that trump was the reincarnation of hitler or mussolini i uh, don't think they would object so much to uh people protesting at his rallies say or uh i don't think they would regard uh an endless bombardment of john oliver rants and hillary clinton telling him to delete his account as <laughs> adequate you know countermeasures to uh nascent fascism but i don't know that's just my analysis what do you think well
1: i really have been enjoying him these last few days uh (laughs) i I do think that um uh even if it's only artificial uh it does seem that spiritually there is a pendulum that swings between him being scary (laughs) and fun and i I think now we are in the last few days at least we've been firmly at the fun part yeah Uh, i've i've been enjoying you know all the shenanigans the shit with the crying baby Mm. uh him not endorsing paul ryan yeah, and hey. now Mike
2: Pence has come out in favor of Paul Ryan. Just, just. A
1: lot of fun. It's uh, antics, yeah. I also love that the Democratic Party, all the a lot of the top Republicans are starting to endorse the Democrats now. And I think that's great because we're now finally getting a one party system. Yeah, which is we I mean we're finally transcending ideology and getting the center right party that we always <laughs> we always needed. It's a choice between a center right party that incorporates like eighty percent of America and then a far right party that incorporates only straw men. <laughs> And I think that's as it should be.
2: It's great. It's like uh, it's like they're both shit. One is like even shittier. So uh, I'm I'm glad that your little socialist uprising <laughs> is, is gone, so that we can get to, back to uniting. Well, I mean, I'm glad. I mean, I'm glad you brought this up because I just feel like everything that's happened in the last few weeks with the you know the DNC basically having a 9/11 night that wouldn't have been out of place <laughs> yeah. at like John McCain's coronation in 2008 with some kind of Sounding like conservatives circa 2008. I mean just parroting all the same talking points and we're all seeing the same thing with uh, There's these memes circulating where it's all the billionaires that have endorsed Clinton And and this really annoying page called like I'm proud to be a Democrat Circulated one today. That's like Warren Buffett Mark Cuban and some other douche and it's like these self-made billionaires are backing Hillary And of course, yeah, like they had they had a, a video at the DNC that was Mitt Romney and a bunch of other people talking about how bad Donald Trump was. <laughs> uh, and it's just like this is I mean, I, I can't believe it's actually come to this. I feel like uh, whether Trump wins or not, you know, the Republican Party is continuing and it's like 30 year, you know, journey of pushing the country, its mission to push the country further and further to the right. Uh, yeah. It sucks. I'm with her.
0: (laughs) When Michael Moore decided to make a movie on the healthcare industry, top-level executives were on the defensive. What were they hiding? That's not on, right? No. Okay. The intent is to maximize profits. If you denied more people healthcare, you got a bonus. When
1: you don't spend money on somebody, it's a savings to the company.
0: I want America to have the finest health care in the world. Four health care lobbyists for every member of Congress. Here's what it costs to buy these men, and this woman, this guy, and this guy. And the United States slipped to 37 in health care around the world, just slightly ahead of Slovenia. I denied a man a necessary operation and thus cost his death. This secured my reputation and it ensured
1: my continued advancement in the healthcare field.
0: In the world's richest country.
1: I work three jobs. You
0: work three jobs? Yes. Uniquely American, isn't it? I mean, that is fantastic. Laughter isn't the best medicine.
2: I get a bill from my insurance company telling me that the ambulance ride wasn't pre-approved. I don't know when I was supposed to pre-approve it. After I gained consciousness in the car, before I got in the ambulance.
0: It's the only medicine. There was actually one place on American soil that had free universal health care. Which way to Guantanamo Bay? Detainees representing a threat to our national security are given access to top-notch medical facilities. Permission to enter? I have three 9-11 rescue workers. They just want some medical attention, the same time that the evildoers are getting. Hello? Michael Morris,
2: sicko. But I mean, this, you know, it was funny to watch this film in the context of what's going on now, because actually, I mean, I, I guess we should say, I mean, I think it's safe to say we enjoyed this movie. Yeah, basically. this is,
1: I think, pretty this, easily the second best movie we've watched yeah. after Roger and me. And I would say the first one since Roger and me where my thumb is turned up.
2: Yeah. I mean this is with
1: reservations, of course. Yeah, I mean
2: my criticisms of this film, such as they are, are just that it's a little too long. Like mm-hmm. it ran over just over two hours. Mm-hmm. It it could have been forty minutes shorter, maybe.
1: Yeah, but I think uh structurally it's a it's a pretty clean three act structure yep. that, that builds in a pretty competent way. That's right. And it's and I think Michael Moore for the first third of the movie admirably stays out of the way. Yep. And it, it, it basically we've complained that all of his stunts in the previous movies, all his little uh gimmicky bits of performance art haven't worked. And in this one, the movie just, it basically just has one big stunt in the last third that it builds up to, and it's a pretty good one.
2: Yeah. Uh, I mean, this film, I think, is, I mean, he completely, Act 1 is great because he almost completely stays out of it. We There's,
1: should say that the movie is about, uh, it, this is Michael Moore's polemic in favor of free universal health care in the U.S., mm-hmm. Uh, and basically his argument that capitalism has corrupted health care mm. by being for profit and mm. as a for profit system, you know, the, the HMO is the big task is t- to treat as few people as possible and that, mm. that it's corrupt to its very soul.
2: Yeah. And I mean, the, the rhetorical strength of it really comes from him interviewing people who've been affected by the, you know, pre Obamacare system in the United States people with you know really I mean really horrible stories where people you know like there's a woman who uh, her husband is dying of cancer and there's a bone marrow procedure that can save his life and they uh, the HMO says that it's uh, it's experimental so they won't pay for it and then he dies like three weeks later there's a little girl who is born deaf and the HMO says they'll only pay to fix her hearing in one ear because two ears would be experimental. Mm-hmm. And of course, Michael Moore, having approached these people, they're able to shame the HMO into uh, mm-hmm. into into uh, uh, paying for the procedure. But yeah, I mean these these cases. Uh, I mean they are they are like really visceral, and some of the stories are so horrible. The irrationality of um, this kind of marketized healthcare is exposed. But really, the thought I had was. In the, I guess, early days of the Obama presidency, in that first summer where there were the protests against, when Obama actually was attempting a somewhat ambitious overhaul of the US healthcare system, you remember there were these big, the healthcare was one of the impetuses for the Tea Party and these big rallies where people were bringing guns. And Sarah Palin, you know, had her famous line about death panels. And I remember speaking to um, a conservative acquaintance a few years ago, and I mean, her description of the Canadian healthcare system, which I mean, she can't really have used, kind of was in line with this Sarah Palin idea that you know it's overly bureaucratic. It's it's these arbitrary decisions by bureaucrats who are totally unaccountable, and you know they make life or death decisions, and there's no choice. And what Michael Moore really shows in this movie is that's actually what marketized healthcare system is like. You know there are these shadowy kind of hmo boards of trustees uh that make decisions there are these kind of executive figures who's who get bonuses even if they minimize the company's expenses so really what we see is marketized services can be incredibly bureaucratic and inefficient and can be and can work totally against what their ostensible mm-hmm. purposes is, which is to provide uh, for a human need and we see some interviews with some you know, former HMO employees who uh,
1: turned whistleblower, basically. Mm-hmm. One of the things I also liked about the first act of the movie is we've criticized Michael Moore in the past for basically sort of using the working class people in his movies as sort of props. Right. Uh, but, you know, we, in this movie, we see a 79 year old man who works, oh, yeah. you know, works at a grocery store, cleaning up spills basically because he, that's the only way he can afford the medication that will keep him alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, or we see, you know, uh, an older couple who has to move into their daughter's uh, basement. Yeah. And, and, and I thought that you almost never see people like this in a movie, sort mm-hmm. of working class, middle-aged, lower yeah. working class people struggling to get by. Sometimes it's hard to tell how much Michael Moore actually cares about the people, that he documents in mm. his movies but i think i think he does care and i mean for the most part degree.
2: i mean particularly in act one these people are speaking for themselves mm-hmm. and and their and their voices are really powerful i mean that 79 year old guy who's working in the supermarket i mean you only he's only on camera for maybe two minutes but mm-hmm. you know there's a guy who's presumably worked all his life and he's doing you know the kind of job that you know a 16 year old teenager might have or something Mm. and it's it's so degrading he's cleaning uh he's you see him cleaning like aisle spills uh you see him putting things in the incinerator and then he's you know the guy's 79 years old and the only reason he has this job is just so that he can get so he has the insurance and, uh, you know, Moore has a kind of interview with him as he's walking away from work. And he says something like, um, you know, I can't really think of the golden years, like if there were any. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really, I mean, it's really powerful.
1: Mm-hmm. You know? And there's a cumulative impact to them. He also, uh, Moore, I think does a pretty good job interspersing the really serious ones. We've, we've criticized him for not being in control of the tone of his earlier mm-hmm. movies. But he does a good job interspersing some of these really tragic cases with... There's another case of a woman who uh, got kicked off, got denied coverage because in her distant past she'd had a yeast infection that was found yeah. out. Yeah, uh, which is kind of like a kind of a gallows humor. Yeah, you know. Uh, so so I don't. Know, he does a good job balancing. Yeah, the more gallows humorous ones mm-hmm. with with the darker ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second act of the movie is uh, the precursor to Where to Invade Next, basically. Right. Where Michael Moore goes Ugh. to
2: Canada, the UK, and France and shows how much better it is. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, as a, um, you know, a grizzled veteran of Where to Invade Next, <laughs> um, you know, it was... I I didn't like this part of the movie as much. I mean, but I mean, it does have a certain, it's fine. It has a certain uh, rhetorical effectiveness. You know, he stretches it out too much. I'm not sure why we need three countries. Um, There are really shades. And of course we're going to get to where to invade next, but there are really shades of it no god please no but anyway keep going there are shades of it when he kind of begins each sequence with like the most base cultural stereotypes (laughs) are so he starts talking about like the french love their wine and their rich foods and like and their cigarettes and
1: yet they have a longer life expectancy than us (laughs) uh and of course michael moore does some of his kind of like Patented ugly American shtick of him saying, "Now wait a minute! You're mm. telling me you get
2: free health care? Yeah. Which, which, when we get to where to invade next, you guys will see that that is literally the entire film."
0: <laughs> I'm asking about hospital charges. Yeah. and You're laughing. Even with insurance, there's bound to be a bill somewhere. What they charge you for that baby? No, no, no. Everything's on. This is NHS. NHS. <laughs> No, it's not, it's not America.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so uh, this is where people come to pay their bill when they're done staying in the hospital. No, this is the NHS hospital, so you don't pay the bill. Why does it say cashier here if people don't have to pay a bill? Those who have reduced means get their travel expenses reimbursed. So in British hospitals, instead of money going into the cashier's window,
1: money comes out. I kind of admire though that again his his stupid shtick i think is kept relatively proportional in this film i agree and i think that uh you know michael moore his pragmatic impulses to make the medicine go down with a spoonful of sugar <laughs> i think it basically works in this movie yeah the, the the tragedy in the comedy is pretty much balanced and it doesn't feel jarring when he moves from one to another yeah i would say that using the other countries as a rhetorical tool in the second act of the film it's maybe effective about 70% of the time yeah. there are some other times when we see somebody who we see an american idiot who wanted to visit abbey road and oh and God. walk ac- and walk across it on his hands and he he well,
2: he, he fa- He 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 saved up all his life, according (laughs) which it's a life wasted. If uh, yeah, so
1: we see him try to do his handstand, walk across Abbey Road, and he falls and he like dislocates his shoulder. I mean, he hasn't even
2: he hasn't even practiced. He's rubbish (laughs) at doing
1: handstands. And then we uh, we find out that, well, he was in the UK, so he got his surgery paid for. And I see this and I start to think, well, fuck you, pal. Like, I, I hate that, that my tax dollars had to pay your surgery for your dumb Abbey Road stunt. Um, I, I feel like we could have used without that and a couple of other examples. but I feel like
2: that was a, an attempt that he was, you know... For some humor, and it just didn't really. Or, I, or, or it's to, not very effective. Or to even show
1: that, like, hey, you know, under under universal health care, even your stupid, even your stupid yeah. pranks will, will
2: be covered. Isn't that great? So. Yeah, I yeah, I, <laughs> I guess so. It uh, I feel like it dilutes the. it has the effect of diluting Mm -hmm. some of the other stuff which is more serious but it's not you know a mortal flaw or anything your pal tony ben is in the movie it was really nice to see him and apparently uh, um like on youtube you can watch the the uh the full interview which i think is 15 minutes or 20 minutes and uh it's just always nice to see a a real
1: clash of the titans you know you got tony ben on the one (laughs) hand you got michael moore You know, kind of a, you know, you got a a middling parliamentarian and a a (laughs) world-famous documentary filmmaker (laughs) meet.
0: When did this whole idea that every British citizen uh, should have a right to health care... Well, if you go back, it all began with democracy. Before we had the vote, all the powers in the hand of rich people. If you had money, you could get health care, education, look after yourself when you were old. And what democracy did was to give the poor the vote and it moved power from the marketplace to the polling station, from the wallet to the ballot. And what people said was very simple, they said in the 1930s we had mass unemployment, but we don't have any employment during the war if you can have full employment by killing germans why can't you have full employment by building hospitals building schools recruiting nurses recruiting teachers if you can find money to kill people you can find money to help people
2: yeah i mean it's amazing to see i mean it's amazing to see tony ben uh and to hear him but it's really weird to like have michael moore i feel like it like, Tony Benn is sort of so eloquent and charismatic, it doesn't even really matter. But just every time the camera, like, turns to Michael Moore's face, it's just like, ugh. Oh,
1: I want to address... Before we move on to Act 3, I want to
2: address Michael Moore's appearance in this film.
1: Compared to uh, Fahrenheit Nine Eleven, when I think he was at his most slovenly, this movie sees him really foxing it up. You know, like, he's got... So, so he's still, like... A little large, uh, I think it's fair to yeah, say. But he, to
2: us. yeah,
1: more to love. Uh, but <laughs> he, but his his hair, which is is normally quite unruly, is in is pretty trim, and he's got he's clean shaven, and he's got these cool hipster mm. uh, hipster frame glasses. Yeah. And he's got a a, le- a black leather jacket. And yeah, he, which he
2: wears everywhere. Yeah,
1: black leather jacket. Like no matter what
2: the country, he's rocking this jacket.
1: And the ball cap that he wears for most of the movie is this red ball cap that I think contrasts really
2: well with the black leather jacket you're right he's clearly put some thought into it yeah um no he looks he looks really uh like slick in this he looks quite presentable i think and
1: especially compared to where to invade next where (laughs) i mean if i if i can say so he's he let himself go a little bit (laughs) Um. but we'll get to that um luke and i have been talking uh, about perhaps doing an episode where all we do is talk about michael moore's physical appearance
2: uh well just it, it's been we, a bit of a one-sided discussion uh, i think but, we could I, just I go on and on and on about it <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> there are one or two moments in the film where i think Moore might have like taken the fucking hat off for example <laughs> like you know it's like i admire his persistence um and he's obviously he must have been really excited to be like looking as slick as he did or something in three countries wearing the same the same hat. Mm-hmm. There's like two other hats that make an appearance in the film but they're pretty marginal figures <laughs> compared to this red ball cap. Mm-hmm. And the leather jacket is ubiquitous. So there's a scene which is uh kind of funny for how contrived it is where he's in France and he's like I met some Americans who were living in France and there's this like really nice dinner that they have where they're drinking wine and they're having nice food. And they're all just talking about how great it is to be in France, and it's kind of like, what is this group? Is this yeah. is this like this is the local chapter <laughs> of like Americans like abroad who bitch about like this, <laughs> the, the the inadequacy of public services in their own country? It's like, yeah, we get together Tuesdays and Thursdays, and you know, and Mike. Anyway, they're they're having this nice dinner, and Michael Moore. Doesn't take his hat off. Doesn't take his jacket off. And I just think, take yeah. the hat off. Yeah. Anyway, so fucking rude. You know, like <laughs> I, I, I get it.
1: You're Michael Moore. You, you, you came out of the womb with that ball cap on. But
2: <laughs> so we've gotten a little away from the, 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 the subject matter of the movie. So tell act, us
1: about Act Three. Act Three is where Michael Moore gets to be Michael Moore. Uh, he's been holding it in all this time, but now he's finally going to let his freak flag fly. <laughs> uh, he, uh, he points out that. The people who worked at Ground Zero were not government employees and therefore aren't uh, insured under a government policy, and uh, a lot of them are suffering from very bad respiratory illnesses. So, But Michael Moore realized that the one place on American soil where you can have state-of-the-art free health care is Guantanamo Bay. So he makes the, I think, kind of clever observation that, well, Al-Qaeda terrorists uh, get universal health care. They get free health care, but why not the people at Ground Zero? <laughs> so he takes them out on a boat to Guantanamo Bay to try to get free health care.
2: And this was, if you saw the trailer for this movie, the uh, movie was sold on this. This was the gag that sold you the movie. Yeah. And he stands there with a megaphone and, you know, is like, I've got some 9 11 uh you know veterans or whatever Mm -hmm. who need uh it kind of fizzles out after that but (laughs) i mean honestly what
1: else is what's going to happen but but it it moves on to uh since they're at cuba anyway they go to cuba and they get medical treatment at a havana hospital Mm -hmm. and and michael moore says (laughs) i we asked for the treatment that they would give a regular person from cuba no more no less. And of course, they get the the royal treatment. They get the rats.
0: It seems that what really bugged us about Castro was that he overthrew the dictator that we liked and replaced him with a guy we didn't like, himself. And so now, after all these years, one thing is clear. The Cuban people have free, universal health care. They become known around the world as having not only one of the best healthcare systems, but as being one of the most generous countries in providing doctors and medical equipment to third world countries. In the US, healthcare costs run nearly seven thousand dollars per person. But in Cuba, they spend only two hundred and fifty one dollars. And yet the Cubans are able to have a lower infant mortality rate than the United States, a longer average lifespan than the United States, they believe in preventive medicine, and it seems like there's a doctor on every block. Their only sin when it comes to healthcare, seems to be that they don't do it for a profit.
1: I remember um, when this movie came out, uh, I had a conservative person as a Facebook friend of mine, hmm. somebody a few years younger than me. Uh, who I hated and and who was just like gave conservatives a bad name and is just a piece of shit
2: oh well damn them for for soiling the good name of conservatism Uh, I
1: I saw that he was uh, part of a Facebook group called I Hate Michael Moore and he left a post in the group which I thought was so poetic (laughs) it said Michael Moore should have stayed in Cuba and then in brackets it said because he is a communist (laughs) (laughs) I just liked that extra bit of clarification. Yeah. I thought that was so poetic. <laughs> anyway, keep going.
2: Well, I mean, this film uh, came out, I guess, I was still occasionally visiting the site, uh, the the, Ameri- the right-wing American blog, snarkbait.com, <laughs> which was sort of a second-tier affiliate. Of, it was sort of in the uh, the moorwatch.com orbit. Oh, yeah. And... Um, You know, I remember I used to visit morewatch.com. I I visited it all the time. It was on my bookmarks. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I just remember the kinds of arguments Michael Moore made in this film. Like, this was one of those blogs where people really would have thought, like, this is, Mm -hmm. like, Stalinism or something. Like, there's a bunch of stock footage in this film of, like, yeah, the Soviet Union. Oh, and there's one thing, which if anybody out there wants to give us, like, a gift for doing such (laughs) amazing work on this podcast there is audio of a of an lp that was circulated by the american medical association it's by an actor that we all know and love named uh, ronald reagan the, the album is
1: called ronald reagan talks about socialized medicine oh my god uh yeah,
2: yeah. i mean if you I'm, wa- go- I'm
1: gonna conceive my first child to that i don't know about <laughs> yeah. you yeah yeah <laughs> uh i think uh, i gotta check ebay because apparently this album was widely circulated and
2: people would have like uh uh dinner parties and listen to it and i i want to it's a real it's a real uh i mean when you bring your date home from the soda fountain yeah (laughs) Yeah. i want to the album
1: cover looks so great it's like ronald reagan (laughs) just a a beautiful headshot of him looking like a star and i want to like frame it and put it over my stove oh my god it's amazing so if (laughs)
2: anybody if anybody like knows where we can get that yeah i'll just check ebay later it's probably there (laughs) <laughs> but speaking
1: of MoreWatch.com, by the way, the the final gag of the movie is that uh, the owner of MoreWatch.com, uh, his wife was suffering from an illness and was going to have to close down the site because he couldn't afford to maintain it anymore and pay for his wife's medical bills. And Michael Moore himself becomes the angel investor uh, and to to save the site and you know let let him let him continue his First Amendment rights to bash mm. Michael Moore. So anonymously sends him $12,000. And then uses it as the punchline of his film. Right. Uh, I really enjoyed seeing this because I just wiled away so many hours on com as a precocious teenager.
2: Yeah. And I guess, so the guy from com didn't find out that it was Michael Moore, I, sp- I assume, until this film came out. I know that after... The, and he reacted. I him. know that
1: after the film came out, at the top of com, there was a little thing that said... Um, Uh, If you learned about us from Michael Moore's film Sicko, click here first, where I think I, I read it at the time. I think it mentioned that he had thanked Michael Moore privately. Right. Um, but he's still an asshole. But, yeah.
2: Sure, sure.
1: <laughs> I, I Unfortunately, morewatch.com is no longer online. It was oh, part, really? It was part of an extended universe of Mike, anti-Michael Moore websites. Mm. One of them was called uh, bowlingfortruth.com, oh my God. which was a point-by-point rebuttal of Bowling for Columbine. Of course, Michael Moore hates America before it was a blockbuster film. Uh, was was a we all
2: knew it when it was underground. Yeah. The, the
1: early work. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a very uh, active web presence
2: <laughs> and, and you know, I miss those
1: sites. Well, I wonder,
2: you know, I think the last time I checked uh, snarkbait.com was still up and I mean, it's it, it looks like a, it really looks like a kind of late 90s website and I bet you if I looked hard enough if it is still up that I could find my old comments from 2003 a lot of which probably would have been about michael moore so we could do a little uh, historical excavation perhaps in a future episode and
1: when we started this podcast <laughs> i thought that a fun like gimmick that we could do at the end of every episode was that we could read uh a post from morewatch.com, uh, like do a dramatic reading. But unfortunately, when I searched it on the Wayback Machine, most of its posts were just quoting from other blogs and adding a little paragraph uh. at the end, like, huh, another example of liberals, no class. Um, so it, I don't know, I don't think it would be very good.
2: Either what you know, what matters is that uh, it existed. And uh, I feel like, you know, the fact that sites like that don't really seem to. I mean, Michael Moore is not considered a threat anymore um, uh-huh. and actually i mean we'll get to it when we discuss where to invade next and capitalism a love story uh, although we have a few more detours i think before we get to them you know but you know where to invade next you know he, the fact that he called it that i thought okay you know there's a chance michael moore is going to be relevant again because this title makes it sound like it's going to be a Fahrenheit night 11 only it's going to be for the obama presidency uh-huh. so i thought Michael Moore is going to make like an anti-drone strike movie. He's going to talk about how Obama's bombed like seven countries, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and and it's going to be a film that's going to be actually provocative and blah blah blah. It turns out that's not the film that he made. And, and if it had uh, if it had been a bit better, perhaps we would have seen kind of a reemergence, uh, uh, a morassance of these uh, or a counter Well,
1: I think what <laughs> we saw in Where to Invade Next, and we also saw in Sicko this week, was. Michael Moore actually making a concerted effort to not be such a divisive figure. I remember when Sicko came out um, in all of the interviews Michael Moore gave and in a lot of the hype around the movie, he was kind of stressing the fact that, well, here's a topic that we can all agree about. And uh, here's, mm-hmm. here's, a, here's a Michael Moore film that even conservatives can like. And in fact, during the Canada segment of this film, Michael Moore interviews a guy... who heard
2: himself golfing.
1: And who talks about how, whoa, you know, uh, Canada is, uh, believes in universal health care and it was uh, created by a man named Tommy Douglas, who is mm. a great Canadian. And uh, take it from me, I'm a member of the Conservative Party. So <laughs> kind of the whole hype around it was, this, mm. is, this is a kinder, gentler Michael Moore. Right. And that was, I think, what he's trying to do with uh, Where to Invade Next. I mean, as you know, the result of it really is that a kinder, gentler Michael Moore means it's kind of not as incendiary and yeah. people aren't really gonna talk about it as mm. much. And also trying to trying to sell a Michael Moore movie to conservatives, mm. this is the movie the more movie that conservatives will like. That's mm. kinda of like saying, well, here we've got this nice edible shit.
2: <laughs> you know, I mean I mean, I think if there's a film that um, conservatives might respond well to, it's this one. Because this isn't mm. a film that's like trolling the president who's like a treasured piece of conservative iconography. I mean, it uses very effectively, you know, 9-11 first responders to make an argument for like, I mean, if, if even these people aren't being served by our system, like something's mm-hmm. clearly wrong. I think uh, the film makes a pretty powerful moral case. You know, it's, it's a shame that this kind of, I mean, in circa 2007, Paul Krugman also wrote a whole book about basically how, you know, the, the single most important legislative goal for the Democrats was single payer health care. But here we are in 2016, and this has apparently been And abandoned. we've got it. <laughs> we got it. No, it's been abandoned as an objective. And it's now, I mean, the official position of kind of the DNC leadership is that it's actually counterproductive to talk about a... So, I mean, the whole argument that a lot of people made, I remember in 2008, 2009, when Obama passed this, um, you know, what was effectively, what did extend insurance to millions of Americans, still left others uninsured, but uh, which was also effectively a I mean, it's not a public health care system exactly it's a it amounted to a massive subsidy to private health insurers basically yeah. you know and it did get rid of some of the issues Moore is talking about in this film uh like the pre-existing conditions and things like that it, it addressed some of that but we you know a lot of a lot of people were like sure this is this is imperfect but it's gonna create the momentum once you have this then you can move to a single-payer health care system but apparently liberals are against that now and um, I mean, we're getting pretty far away from the Moore orbit now, but there's a wonderful piece that uh, Seth Ackerman wrote for, for Jacobin a couple months ago called Meet the New Harry and Louise, where he goes through, I mean, just brutally uh, goes through all the things that kind of prominent liberal wonks and pundits um, were writing in kind of you know, 2007, 2008 about how great single-payer healthcare was, and now the, uh, that they're saying the very opposite. In any case, it doesn't seem like Moore is really, uh, as with so many other things, doesn't really seem like he's part of the conversation. Although we should do a future, uh, we should do a reading. You know, he's been, you know, he was campaigning for Bernie, obviously, and he uh, he recently did a post about on his blog about how Donald Trump is going to win. And I think we should, I think we should read from some. Oh, of Oh yeah, that. let's do it next yeah. week. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: because I don't have it. No, on my own. <laughs> uh, but and next week I think uh, it's time to do an American Carol.
2: Yeah, I've been looking forward to this for a really long time. Um, This is a film I have not seen, which Will has, and which he's only spoken well of. And I actually think now after our, like, brief dip back into the earnestness of Michael Moore, I'm ready for some more right-wing bullshit. An American
1: Carol, uh, just to give you an idea of what we're in store for, is, uh, so the Zucker brothers who did Airplane and the Naked Gun, one of them became a 9-11 Republican, (laughs) and in the waning days of the Bush administration in 2008, he he made uh, an airplane-style comedy about Michael Moore featuring all of the right-wing celebrities. James Woods, John Voight, Kelsey Grammer. Kelsey Grammer. Oh, amazing. And, uh, you know, a whole plethora of other people. Um, I oh, can't wait. And also Michael Moore or the Moore surrogate is played by Chris Farley's brother, <laughs> Kevin Farley. Rock bottom. Uh, it's a treat.
2: I love it. I can't wait to see it again. <laughs> That's great. Well, uh, I think, uh, I think we've, we've pretty thoroughly covered sicko, I guess, uh, you know, pretty good. Yeah. Right? Thumbs up. Uh, I think check this it is, out. Yeah. Uh, You did good, Mike. Yeah. (laughs) I know you're listening. Um, But uh, so I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and join us next week for An American Carol. It's going to be fun. Uh, Until next time, I was Luke Savage. Now watch this drive. (laughs)
1: When I play the maracas, I go chick-chicky-boom, chick-chicky-boom. Yes, sir, I'm Cuban feet. I'm the craze of my naked street. When I start to dance, everything goes chick-chicky-boom, chick-chicky-boom. The señorita's dancing and a am
0: swinging with that o'erro. It's very
1: nice. Rita, I know that you would like it, cheeky boojy. It's very really nice.
2: So very nice. You can place my hand on your hip, and if you will, just give me your hand. Then we shall try, just you and I. <laughs>